church, my, my son just shared with me. He said, Dad, Dad, I love that part where we're singing and all of a sudden we just go, hallelujah, boom, and comes in and he said, oh man, that was so good, church. Can I just tell you that that is so true of our hearts, just echoing the fact that God is truly the great I am. I want to remind you of one of the things that was spoken there. There is no power of hell or any who can stand. I think of all of the things perhaps that you see are against God today. Maybe there's something in your family, people against you, against God, against everything that he has planned for us. Perhaps it's stuff that you see in our nation, things opposed to God. This is what I want us to do. I want us to, in our hearts and in our minds, recognize the glory of what we just sang. I want us to remember that he is truly still and has always been the great I am. From before anything was made, he was the great I am. As he brings and ushers everything into eternity, he will be and will be fully glorified as the great I am. So I want us to think of that today. I want us to remember that today as we're all here. So I invite you to bow with me in prayer as we go to him as the great I am. Father, our hearts wrestle against the truth of this. Lord, I think of the truth that the mountains shake and tremble. And the demons, they run and flee. Lord, there are things that need to be removed from our hearts, that need to be shaken in our hearts, Lord, where we even as people are rebellious against you, the great I am. Father, as Jasper mentioned, maybe there's failures this week that seem overwhelming. Maybe there's things that have happened over the past few months, Lord, that are just burdening our minds and our hearts. Father, I pray that you would help us today to recognize again the glory of your majesty, the splendor and awesomeness of your presence. And Lord, you are here with us. Lord, fix our minds and our eyes to you as we look at what you have planned as the God of all from the beginning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Now, kids, if you have a Bible, it's uh, right at the beginning of the Bible. You, you might see a little table of contents something that has a list of all the books of the Bible. Yeah, there's 66 of them. There's quite a few. But it's the first one. And it says Genesis right at the top. And for those of you who don't know, Genesis and all the books of the Bible, we're going to say first the chapter. So Genesis, the first book of the Bible, one being the first chapter and one being the first verse. So it's Genesis 1, 1. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and we will be looking today simply at one verse. So if you have even a handout, you have on your little handout our verse today. And this is what it reads. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is simply what we're going to be looking at today. In the beginning, God created 
the heavens and the earth. I want you to understand that Genesis was written or started at least during the time when the Jews came out of Egypt and were wandering in the wilderness. You think of what happened with Mount Sinai and God appearing to them there and Moses goes up on this mountain and receives the books of the law. And we know that what Moses was given was information that no one really had at the time. No one is here except God, so God is the only one who could give this information. Makes sense. If you and I didn't exist to observe any of the things, the only one who was there was God, so he's the one who gave him this information. Now, Genesis is a part of the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those are what are known as the Pentateuch, or the law. And we assume much of it was written by Moses. Now, we know there's parts of it that were not written by Moses. Moses dies. He can't write it after he's dead. So we know that there were parts of it that were not written by Moses. And so these books were most likely finished hundreds of years later when the Jews came back from the Babylonian captivity. There was a man, a priest, he has a book of the Bible named Ezra. Ezra was a man who probably started putting together much of what we know now as our Old Testament. So there are psalms that were written after the exile. There are things included in the Pentateuch that could not have been written during the time of the wilderness wandering. There's things that he added. And so the final thing that we have as our Old Testament and the book of Genesis was probably completed after the exile. And we're asking the question, how did we get here? How did we get here? And that's a very fitting question, especially for the Israelites, because they're asking after the exile, God, who are we? What is it that we're doing now? We just spent years in captivity. We're now coming back to the land. Who are you and what is your relationship to us? And so Genesis is going to answer not just, as Jasper mentioned, the way that we got here, but who we are in relationship to our God. And so that is what I want us to think about. And the purpose of today's sermon is reminding us of the simplicity that God created everything, everything, for His good purpose and for His glory. And so the main character in this book is God. It is not Adam and Eve. It's not Noah. It's not Abram. It's not his son, Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph. It's, it's God. God is the main character. And we would do well to remember this. And so we're going to focus today on who God is in this one verse. And so again, the verse says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want us to consider first the, four, the first four words of the verse. In the beginning, God. Can I tell you that that section right there is filled with truth. In the beginning, God. When I was at college, I took a class on the Pentateuch by a professor who spent a week dealing with those four words, an hour and a half every day. He spoke to us for a week on in the beginning, God. I was dumbfounded by how rich the simple simplistic nature of God's Word can actually be. 
The first thing I want us to see, though, in the character of God is that God reveals Himself as the only one who is eternal. God is eternal. It's the first characteristic we need to understand about God. God is eternal. Before anything existed, God was there. So there was a time when there was nothing but God. I know some of you have probably done this yourself with a little bit of fun in your mind, trying to picture of nothing but God. And usually when I picture him, I picture like this, this vast space, and then God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all there, just together. But I'm thinking like that's, I'm still putting space in this thought. I'm still picturing an area in which God exists, and that's not what God, there was no area, there was no space. It was just God. Let me just tell you, we cannot conceive of what this actually means. But the Father, Son, and Spirit lived and dwelled in perfect unity, love, and glory. That's why the Bible describes God as having no beginning and no end. That's why it calls Him the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. And God being eternal means that God is independent of anything outside of himself. He needs nothing. He needs nothing to exist. Everything else needs God. Everything else needs God to be here and to stay here. Paul, to a bunch of pagans in Athens, he says to them in Acts 17, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And then he makes this statement. He says, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He says, instead, he is the one who gives life and breath and everything else to all of his creation. It's a reminder to us that we have full and complete dependence on God at all times. Church, do you recognize that today? Full and complete dependence on God at all times. As a child, I think of the reality that I, I'm sure none of us really did. We never really understood how much we depended on our family and how much I was not the most important person in my family. I enjoy having conversations with our kids. Callie and I often talk about times, you, remember those times, parents, before kids? Remember those times? They were very few, it seems. But before kids, and we're talking about them, and I remember our kids always ask, was I there? Was I, was I there? And I said, listen, before there was the time when I was drastically socially confined by your presence, my wife and I had a, had a life. We really did. I wasn't born your dad. I wasn't. I, I, I have to tell you, you weren't there. You were not there. You were not born yet. And I think the reality of that is for us today, we do well to remember that we have a time now with a vast amount of history behind us. And even today, there is a vast world outside of just simply our perception from our own eyes and our own brains and our own thoughts. And God is Lord over all of them. God is Lord over every single person that lives on this earth, and He is the one who has always existed and I think of this reality, long before we existed, God has faithfully cared for His creation from the very beginning. I think of Psalm 119, says this, your faithfulness continues through all generations. Your faithfulness. He says, because you established the earth, and then it says, and it endures. It keeps going. 
your faithfulness from all generations because you establish it. But God, amazingly, you still have it going. That is a sign of your faithfulness. And so the application of God being eternal, in the beginning God, is that we can trust God. I think of, again, the limitation of our perspective. Is there anybody here who's lived 100 years? 100 years. That's, that's a lot. Callie's grandfather is encroaching upon almost 100 year, years of life. That's amazing. But think of the limitation even of 100 years of a perspective. How long has God been around? Always. I think of the reality of a trust of someone who has a lot of life behind them and the willingness that we have often to receive advice from those who have more knowledge than we do. And then God, who has all knowledge, has always existed, is Lord over everything, even of time. And I think of the reality of what the Bible teaches us about things that have happened, actually, that God has planned from before the foundation of the world. I don't know if you understand or maybe seen some of the significance of these things, but listen to what it says. In John 17, 5, I love this, Jesus in his prayer, he kind of just throws these little tidbits of wonder into the Bible. This is what it says, and now, Father, he says, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world was created. Isn't that amazing? He gives us an insight before the world was even created. There was glory that the Son had with the Father? Ephesians 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. God had planned for things to take place in our lives to be chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Peter writes and talks about that you and I were not ransomed with perishable things like silver and gold. That wasn't the price for us. In fact, it was the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. And then he says this about Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. God chose Christ to come to be a sacrifice for sins from before the foundation of the world. And then he says, but he was made manifest in the last times for your sake. 1 Corinthians 2 says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which is Christ and him crucified. And he says, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. He decreed the wisdom of Christ dying on the cross from before the ages began for our glory. That's the eternal God. And then this one, Titus 1. Paul says, listen, I'm a servant of God and I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. And he says, and this is why this has all happened. It's in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God never lies. We can trust Him, and He's planned this before the ages began. And then it says this, at the proper time, He manifested this truth in His Word through the preaching, which is what we're receiving today. And Paul says, I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Can I remind you that God's plan is perfect? 
that this eternal God didn't just create things for no reason. He made them with a plan and an end in mind. We would do well to remember that God can be trusted in the things that might be a little confusing, knowing that He is the eternal God, and you and I are simply creatures with such limited perspective. And I love that it says at the proper time. Let me remind you, there was no plan B, okay? There was never a time when God had second guesses. He wasn't up there going, I really hope this works. He never feels rushed. He's never trying to catch up. He's never frantic or nervous. He is at perfect peace with what he is going to do and when, and he is fully in control. And that is just one aspect of that verse. We could spend much more time, but we're going to move on. The second thing we see here is in the beginning, God created. So God is eternal and God is creator. God is the creator. The one who began it all was God. I love this. There's no real explanation. You see, in the first three words of the Hebrew Bible, God not only exists, but he's also created. Doesn't tell us what we would like to know. It just tells us that it's true. In the beginning, God created. There it is. This word for created is the Hebrew word bara, and it is only used of God in the Bible. Mankind can form and fashion and change. We can use the word create, but it is clearly not the creation that God has. It means two things. First of all, it could be an initial moment something came into being. We know that one very well. It did not exist before, and then it came into being. So we think of Hebrews 11, verse 3, says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Only God makes something out of nothing. Everything else, we use something to make it. Your house, you did not just make appear. These objects, all of the things in here. I love it. My kids always ask, hey, who made that? Well, there's two answers. Man did, but God gave them the things to use. And we have to recognize both. The interesting thing, though, is that it's not just simply that initial moment of something coming into being, which is typically what we know. It's also the patient work of bringing something to perfection. The patient work of God bringing something to perfection. We'll see this in the next few weeks as we go through God and Him creating the world. Here's a question. Why did God take six days to create the world? Would we not all agree that God could have done it instantaneously? Did he need six days because he actually got tired and he needed to rest? It's interesting. The Bible uses words like that of God. It says that he was exhausted. Was he exhausted? The Bible also says that he does not grow tired or weary. I think what God is doing there is showing that you and I, what our natural course of events will be is that things will take longer than we expect. Gentlemen, have you ever done a house project that has taken a lot longer than you expected it to? Yes. I don't know if any don't take long, but they do. There's a patience in bringing something to perfection. And it's not simply God showing His power. He could have just, boom, made everything. But it's also His care and wisdom in how He does it. And that you and I can marvel at both of those things. Both the instantaneous creation and the patient working 
are evident in this world all around us. And so this is what our response is. With God being eternal, we can trust Him. With God being creator, we worship Him. We worship God. I think of Revelation 4 as we're singing about the majesty of the great I Am. You have these living creatures giving glory to God and then these elders laying down, bowing down, laying their, crown, their crowns down. And this is what they say. They say, you're worthy. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created everything. By your will, they were created and have their being. And so seeing creation and the wonder of creation leads us to worship. That's the only response of seeing these things. Now, we would say, well, what about reality of mankind? Mankind doesn't naturally worship God. Yes, that's true. The problem of man that we see is that man exchanges the glory of the Creator for that which is created. Imagine if we had Ali singing with the microphone and all of us just praised the microphone. That microphone is amazing. Can you believe that microphone? Did you hear how amazing that was? We recognize the object and not the one singing. Or think of the Bible saying the fool says in his heart there is no God. It would be like us praising the piano and never recognizing that it needs someone in order to play it to even be beautiful. You can't tell me that the things that we see are simply here because of their own existence. Someone is using them to declare His glory. And so the Bible says, without apology, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim His handiwork. It says that His eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Everything around you is a reminder that God is there. And let me challenge you with this. I don't think, and I'm challenged with this myself as I was studying, I don't think we understand or imagine the beauty of God. The beauty of God. As a man, I don't really like to talk about things that are beautiful. But there is something that the Bible gives us about God that draws our hearts to Him. This is what it says in Psalm 96. It says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens... Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Think of this splendor, something that captures your eye and heart. I think of my kids. When they walk up to something and they see it and they go, whoa, that's so cool. There's almost like this giddiness. <laughs> Do you see? What? Look at this. Isn't this amazing? That's how they respond. And yet majesty, majesty is the idea that as we continue to look at it, we are overwhelmed at how wonderful it actually is. Parents, I believe for a picture for us is when our kids are giddy over those things and they see these things, that we have a perspective of, in a sense, majesty where we're seeing something so simple, yet it is so profound, that actually what is happening here is glorious and the kids do not recognize it. It is both aspects splendor. God captures your eyes initially, but then the longer you stay there, you actually see how wonderful it truly is to be there. You feel majesty. And God reminds us, splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are constantly with Him in His presence. Let me say, God is never boring. 
I need some of you to understand that today. God is never boring. You would never have a time, if you were truly in the presence of God, where you would think, I should be somewhere else right now. David says, it is better for me to be in the presence, a gatekeeper in the presence of God, than to live a thousand days anywhere else. Why would he say that if God was not amazing? Why would he say that if he thinks a gatekeeper would somehow be boring? I just want to be close enough. I, just in his presence enough, that would be sufficient for me. I'd rather be there than a thousand days anywhere else. My goodness, that's incredible. I think of this, Psalm 111 says this, Praise the Lord. I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty, those two words again, is his work and his righteousness endures forever. In your presence, Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Church, there's always more to see experience, appreciate, and discover about our God. There's no reason why we would have an attitude that would say, I have seen all there is to see. I know all there is to know. That is not true. We can have tastes now, and we have tastes now that are true. They're small tastes, but they are true tastes. So let me ask this, how are you taking time to enjoy God every day? What is a rhythm of your day that you spend time enjoying Him? Every day is a day of potential wonder. Kids, let me ask this, when you watch a movie, and you watch a movie, and you go, wow, that was so cool, do you reflect on God in that movie? Do you find truth that you enjoy in that movie? Are there things maybe to be cautious of or avoid because of that movie? How about when you're sitting down to eat a meal? Do you truly take time to sit and to thank the Lord for the things that you're about to eat, knowing that it's from His hand that He gave you these things? You say, well, I bought it at a grocery store. Okay, we'll talk details. Talk to me after the service. We'll talk about how grocery stores get their food. Do you think of God as you play outside? That's a great time to look and to see all of the wonders of God's creation. Do you even like going outside? Soon there's this thing that's coming. I don't want to say it, but I'm going to winter. Where everything you see will be one color. Or wet. Dirty. Hopefully it's white. When you go outside, do you understand that you get to experience the hand of God in His creation? I think of this as you play with your toys or with your friends. Every time you have, every moment you have is an opportunity for you to be recognizing that God is there and He can be enjoyed. And I think of relationships being a gift from God. Families, are you thankful to God for your family? Husbands, you made a covenant with your wife. Does the wonder of your wife still fuel your heart? Does the wonder of your wife, the joy of her presence, still excite you? Wives, you said I do. You were excited about marrying a man. 
Does the joy of your husband fuel your heart? Is there something of the recognition still of the good relationships that God has given? Parents, are you still rejoicing in your children? Children, do you rejoice in your parents? God is not making mistakes. He is good in all that He does. And He's worthy to be worshipped. The final thing we see is in the beginning, God created. And then He tells us what He created. He created the heavens and the earth. So God is eternal. God is creator. And this is telling us that God is king. The two bookends, heavens and earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What he's saying is everything was made by God. Everything in between those. So that's the invisible and the visible. Things that you and I can see on a regular basis and those things that we really have no idea about. And I would say those that are the heavenlies and those that are the earthlies. That's not a word, but I made it up. But that's what he's talking about. Now, what is a king? If I were to ask you to describe what a king is, hopefully you're not going to think of King George from Hamilton. Uh, that is not a very good depiction of a king. Anyways, um, but he's, he is the one who rules over a certain area. That's what a king is. They rule over a certain area. One that either they've conquered or they've made themselves. That's what a king is. A king also is responsible for the good and care and protection of that area. That's what a king is responsible for. And we see kings throughout the Bible. And when they do what is good, there's good things that happen to the nation. When there's bad things that they do, bad things happen to the nation. God is the king. God is a good king. And so it's speaking about God's power and authority. God has the ability to rule. He has the power to rule. And the authority means he has the right to rule. So the Bible says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's, it belongs to him, and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell in it. Why? Because he's the one who founded it upon the seas. He's the one who established it upon the waters. And then it asks the question, so, so who is this king of glory? And the answer is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. And then later on, he asks again, who is he, this king of glory? He's the Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. And so God being king means if God makes it, then he owns it. If God makes it, then he owns it. I think of going to uh, art things with my kids when they were going to like an art show, and there's just hundreds of pictures and other things on the wall. Which one am I interested in? Yes, all of them. Okay, everybody did a great job. But I'm looking for my kids once. And what is the question that I ask? Which one's yours? Which one's yours? Does my son have the right to go, that one's mine? And then someone else comes up and says, no, it's not, that's mine. I made that. <laughs> You're right. I just wanted that one. Uh, this one's mine. Are you sure that one's yours? Yeah, that one's mine. I could get it with a t teacher. Did he make this one? Yes, they made that one. That one's yours. Why? Because I made it. We understand that. If you make something, it belongs to you. So God made it. He owns it. But the second thing, if it is God's, then he also gets to declare what it is used for. What is this for? I imagine my daughters. I'm sure, kids, you've never had this problem where someone came and started fussing with something that you made. 
Let's say my daughter makes a nest for her stuffed animals. It's beautiful. It's nice and soft. In fact, a grown-up could probably sleep in it comfortably. And here it is. And then my sons come in and they go, look at that. That's awesome. That's going to be our dumpster for Legos. And they just start dumping Legos into it. Because boys wouldn't do that. Of course they would. Dump it in. They've now misused the nest. And the question that you would ask is, well, who, who made this? Well, that was Nora. Nora made it. And she's the one who gets to declare what it's used for. Boys, if you want a Lego dumpster, go make your own. This is used as a nest. So God not only claims that it is his own, but then he also determines why it is used. Because he's the king. We do not have rights to declare what we want things to be like. And so how do we respond to God being the king? Well, the answer is we serve. We serve God. We exist for him, not him for us. I think of often I view God as this divine vending machine or candy shop. I don't get to choose what God does or does not do in my life. I don't get to that. God is not wrong as the king if he corrects people's wrong view of their life. I call them friendly reminders that you and I don't have control. God often gives us friendly reminders that we're not in control. I think of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is looking out over his kingdom and he goes, look at this wonderful place that I have made. And we know that God warned him. He said, when you speak these words and lift yourself up, I'm going to make you insane and you're going to go seven years and be like an animal. At the end of those seven years, Nebuchadnezzar comes back and this is what he says. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand and say to him, what have you done? Again, he does not exist for us. He exists so that we would give him praise and glory and honor. And this is a hard one too. I fear that so often we're keen on giving God our thoughts on what should be happening and what he should be doing. Can I say that it seems like in some of the texts of Scripture that God is not really interested in your thoughts of what he should be doing? He's not really interested in those things. If you think of Job, Job is there trying to figure out why is God doing this stuff with me and there's no explanation given. And this is what God says to him. He says to him, who is this? Who obscures my plans with words without knowledge. In other words, who's this one who's making unclear my way? I'm doing really well the direction I'm going. Why are you trying to pull me into a dark place where I am not heading it? Who's the one who darkens my counsel without knowledge? What are you doing, Job? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you answer me. And then he asks this question. Starts off with a kicker. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. That's enough. God doesn't stop there. He keeps going with questions about creation and all the things. Do you feed any of these things? Do you store up any snow? What do you do? What do you do, Job? Let me tell you what I have done, and then let's compare who should be asking who. Church, that is not to belittle us. It is to magnify God. God is the king, and he is a good king, and he does things perfectly. Again, we can go back to the fact that we trust him. 
We worship Him. And now we serve Him because God is the King and He's so good. If He chooses not to do something that you've set your heart on happening, are you going to correct Him? Are you going to give Him advice? Are you going to see Him as less than a good King? Because many people have come to that conclusion. But going back to God, God is eternal. Think of this, the wisdom that was with God when He began it all still guides His ruling even now. He hasn't changed. His wisdom in the formation is the same wisdom in which He governs it today. God is not absent. He's still king. He's still good. And in conclusion, we have to be reminded this is needed now more than ever in our hearts. We need to go back to the beginning and understand who God is, how did we get here, and what is happening in our world is not outside of the sovereign control of this good God who began it all. Think of your very life. Think of where God has brought you individually. Individually, all of you have a course that God in His grace has brought you. There's not one person who at the judgment before Christ would not say that God has not been good in many, many ways. We simply do not recognize the goodness of God. So let me challenge you. Think of your life. Think of what God has done in bringing you to where you are. And these things fuel your trust in God. They fuel your worship of God. And they press into you to serve Him more. I'm not trying to make this easy. Some of you have a hard, difficult life, current circumstances. But the faithfulness of God endures from generation to generation. And I think of this too as we ponder the question, how did we get here? Clearly when we look through history, we have to think it goes through Jesus Christ. We didn't go from creation to today. We went creation and all of history and through Jesus who actually came and now to us. And so let's reflect on these things, the eternal nature of God, the creator God and the king God as we think of Jesus for a short moment. The eternal God planned with wisdom the sending of his son. We read about that in some of the epistles. That he chose him from before the foundation of the world that he would come. The creator God who made this world, knowing that it would fall into sin and need his son to step into creation himself. Think of it. The creator God became part of the creation. That's incredible. The Lord of all, the king eternal, walked this earth as an unrecognized, despised servant to a cross, but defeated our enemies as that king. The fear of death, the devil himself, and is now sitting enthroned in heaven as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Church, everything that we can say about God today, we can say truly about Jesus Christ. God is eternal. Jesus is eternal. God is creator. Jesus is creator. God is king. Jesus is king. And Genesis 1-1 reminds us that at the center of our history, it has been, is, and always will be 
God. Romans 11, Paul tells us he's been rehearsing God's plan of salvation from the beginning, and he concludes it with this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who's ever given him advice? Who has ever even given to God that he should be repaid by God? No one. And then he says this, for from him as the eternal planner and through him as the creator God and to him as the king are all things. To him be the glory forever. And all of God's people can simply say, as Paul said, amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reality of who you are as you reveal yourself simply in one verse. And Lord, we have hardly even mined the extravagance of the truth of who you've revealed yourself to be. Lord, I thank you that you are the one eternal, that you are the one that can be trusted from the foundation of the world. You are still faithful, and we must know that today. Lord, that you're the one who created. We live and move and have our being because of your graciousness. And so, Lord, every day is a, is a day called to worship you. I pray that we would see your hand and your goodness, your glory and your majesty, your beauty, and everything that you do. And finally, Lord, I pray that our hearts would resound in the fact that you are our king, that we would be so overcome that our simple response is, Lord, here I am, send me. I want to serve you. I want to do what you would have me to do for this life. And Lord, as I pass from this life and I'm moving to what is to come, Lord, I will be with you forever. And that is a great joy. But I pray that we would enjoy you today. Pray that the hearts of all of your people who know your Son would rejoice in Him today. And Lord, if there are those who do not know you, I pray that their hearts would be pricked by the fact that you are the one who's made them. That perhaps these truths that they've heard, the simplicity of Genesis 1-1, resound in their hearts. Stir in them an affection for you, Lord Jesus, I pray. It's your glory alone. To you be the praise. Praise God, we have much to respond to. Come on, family, let's stand on our feet. Let's open our mouths and declare the glories of the Lord and praise his name. Leanne's going to lead us, sing along with us.
God's creation. And my thought is this, what does God have to do in my heart for me to truly embrace in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? I think of Nebuchadnezzar, as Charles said, having to be smitten with insanity to finally at the end of it lift up his hands and say his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Every opportunity in our life, no matter how hard, no matter how easy, no matter how joyful or wonderful it is, an opportunity to take all of that, give it to God and say, to you alone be the glory. Your plan is wonderful. Even when I don't understand it, you are at work. That is our God. And my prayer is that he would help us to be able to lift our hands and, and glory in who he is and his sovereignty apart from anything we experience in the midst of it all. He gets it all. Church, I hope you were blessed by the truth that God is creator, he's eternal, and he is king. Hope you take that into the week. Know this, if you're here this morning, you're new. Pastors, we would love to meet you. We'll be down here at the steps. Come see us, introduce yourself. And church, know this always as you leave, you are loved. God bless you.